0: back. And I guess welcome back to me as well. You just probably got finished with our last episode where Sarah Krivsky was with us as our special guest and I was out, but I'm back now uh, with Trip again. So I am the special guest for this episode, (laughs) but we're excited to wrap up this series on community. We're recording this episode just for a little behind the scenes for those of you that are listening. Uh, We're recording this episode a whole lot later than all the other ones. So we are now in the fall community groups have begun the the fall colors are beginning to show. We just wrapped up our series on Ephesians in the morning service and the evening service has begun and is going through the book of Mark. So we're we're slightly more contemporary Jake and Trip than we were in those prior recordings. <laughs> is there anything you want to catch people up to on your life trip? No, I don't think so. I'm
1: just right now my Saturdays are amazing cuz Carolina football has yet to lose, but my <laughs> Sundays are terrible because Carolina Panthers can't seem to win a game.
0: So Mm, The the duality of football at this season of life. Yes. Well, then let's just jump in. Uh, This is our last episode on community, so I'm hoping that you're going to wrap up all of your grandiose thoughts from the other episodes in this one so that we know where we're going. So where do you want to start?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I uh, remember teaching this class over the summer, and these last few classes were some of my favorites because it was really getting into the nitty-gritty, getting into some practical things. I think a lot of people came to the class this summer. Maybe people have tuned into the podcast because they were, like, thinking we would get pretty practical right away, but then we started thinking pretty theoretically, thinking theologically. But a lot of people are seeing the problems with isolation and individualism, and they want community, they want friendship, so they need some help. They need some thoughts, biblically speaking. And so this is one of those that we're gonna get there a little bit more. So Jake, I think a good question, I know you're normally the question asker, but just to get us started, you know, we began, I think our first podcast, I asked that question, what was God doing before creation? Now here we are at the end of all things, We could ask the opposite question. What do you think we will be doing for eternity with God? Again, some kind of meta question here, but what, and maybe, you know, again, we've thought about it some before this, but what are some like common perceptions to what people think that will be?
0: Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind, and I think this is probably the the first image that comes to mind to most people is you've got, you've got like clouds and there are like little cherubim playing harps and the the golden gates are always in the background. You've got the, 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 or, or they're also referred to as the pearly gates. Yeah. Um, don't know where we get that from, but the pearly gates are in the background. It's kind of this kind of esoteric, floorless dimension of uh, of worship and eternal. Like there's like always a sunset, but the sun's never going <laughs> down. Like, yeah. I think that's what most people think of that's not what I tend to think of, but I think one of my, my favorite, favorite, favorite quotes ever is C.S. Lewis talks about when, when people criticize Christianity for the, the limited view of eternity for imagining that we're all going to sit around in robes playing harps all the time. He says that people that do not understand books written for adults should not talk about them. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I just love that quote, but I think that's kind of the public conception of heaven. If you were to grab somebody off the street, they'd probably say something like that. They might bring up, oh, I'm really excited to see uh, my grandparents or my yeah. mom and dad or, yeah. or my dog. Just I'm excited to see all those people that, uh, that I'm missing now that were once with us. Mm-hmm. But I think... Yeah, I think my conception is a little bit different. Like I think of heaven as a place of like worship. Like yep. like this is a place we are we're going to a person, not really a place. Like we're going to be with Jesus. We're mm-hmm. going to be with the the triune God of everything. And so like this is a place where we get to worship and work. And so I'm excited. I'm sure you have more to talk yeah. about. No, no, that, no, no. But, That's uh, good. And I mean I think
1: <laughs> you're spot on. And I mean it's definitely so much of our Yeah, our interesting that C. S. Lewis quote, like so much of our I think Sunday school no offense to any sunday school <laughs> teachings but i mean so much of our visions of heaven are ingrained at a very early age and we're at a fairly impressionable age and i think that shapes how we often think about this and hopefully our conversation today will help refine some of those things not necessarily totally redirect but i mean i'll give you an example i recently i visited my grandparents graves in uh thomasville north carolina Gordon family has some historic roots in Davidson County, North Carolina. And I noticed one gravestone while I was there. It was a husband and wife buried beside one another. Very sweet. But on the gravestone was uh, was actually two beach chairs on <laughs> the front of it. Uh, communicating something to the effect. I can't remember what it said on it, but communicating something to the idea that they will be enjoying life by the beach together for eternity. You know, And as, uh, as sweet as that sentiment may be, I think this idea of eternity is actually, it's its pretty removed from a biblical idea. You know, sitting by the beach sipping piña coladas is, is actually not what a foretaste of eternity would, would will be like. Mm. Um, that would kind of get boring after a while. <laughs> you know, even a TV show a few years ago picked up on this. Don't totally recommend the TV show, but its it was an interesting episode on Black Mirror on San Junipero. It was one of their more popular episodes. And it was actually a depiction of like, you know all this stuff in the tech world about downloading your consciousness into eternity, mm-hmm. and they were in this some this paradise called San Junipero. What the episode kind of showed was like that eternity of just like doing the same thing over and over on the beach in paradise is kind of boring and awful mm-hmm. <laughs> like and so that's kind of like the question we're asking here is like, what will we be doing in eternity? And I know it's kind of a meta thought, and scripture isn't exactly clear on it, so we have to be careful and patient on that. but I do want to say, as the Lord was before creation, so into eternity, it seems like we're going to be in a similar place. You know, if Jesus is saying, um, "You loved me for the found before the foundation of the world," I want them to be in that same relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. That's what we're looking forward to. So, rather than seven pina coladas as a foretaste, <laughs> our fellowship with one another in community actually is more of a foretaste of what eternity will be be like bonhoeffer makes this point again in life together he says really cool quote here between the death of christ and the last day it is only by way of a gracious anticipation of the last things that christians are privileged to live in visible fellowship with other christians yeah hmm. exactly kind of hitting the nail on the head that i'm trying to get out there and to to really Hit this point home a little bit more, Jacob. Uh, Jake, you know about this about me, and I don't know if I've brought it up in the podcast just yet, but we've done Tolkien, we've done Bonhoeffer, we've done Cranmer. But one other thing that I truly love is uh, is sports, and I particularly love uh, baseball. I'm a big baseball fan. Is this, would you say? This I was
0: going to say, if, if, if for those of you who have maybe met Tripp before or if you <laughs> haven't met him yet, you can literally just walk up to Tripp and just say the word baseball, and he could just go. He, he could talk to you for two straight hours about <laughs> the history of baseball, when things happened, who did what. He is, he loves baseball. If 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 Tripp has a second love after <laughs> Jesus, and of course his, his wife and uh, their lovely dog, uh, <laughs> it's probably baseball. So I'm surprised it took this long, frankly, yeah. for a baseball icon <laughs> to come up in the stories.
1: Yeah. Sadly, you know, North Carolina doesn't have a team, but... And sadly, the Red Sox weren't that good this year. But (laughs) shout out MLB Raleigh, you know, trying to build a movement here (laughs) to bring (laughs) baseball to the city. But one of the many, many reasons that I love baseball is uh, it's hard not to be romantic about baseball. So just bear with me for a second. But one of the reasons I love it is that it's such a reflection of life. There's so many little things in it that are kind of a microcosm or a small picture of life. Ken Burns in his documentary describes it like this, and you know I'm into something when you're quoting a Ken Burns documentary. Uh, But he says this, most of all about baseball, it is about time and timelessness, about speed and grace, failure and loss, imperishable hope, and coming home. I love that last little thought there, uh, that the goal of baseball, if you think about it, is, is to round the bases and ultimately to come home. Compared to all these other sports, you know, where you know you got to get a ball across a plane or you got to get a ball through a net you know most sports operate in that same way mm-hmm. like that's the goal of the game in some way shape or form you have to penetrate this barrier with some sort of ball or object and you get points for doing that but the goal of baseball is to bring a person home <laughs> um even you think about it, the plate is shaped like a little house, uh, <laughs> and it's you know it's it's a hazardous adventure to travel around the bases, you know, in between first and third things often go more wrong than they go right. Mm. Then there's this feeling, you know, of rounding third, coming home. If you're ever watching a baseball game, one of the most exciting things is that rush. Balls hit the center field. You see the guy coming from second, coming around third, and you know the ball is going to be coming home at the same, at that same time. There's this thrill of expectation. This Suddenly you're holding your breath, and then at last, Joy. When we arrive home, there's these great I mean, when we, I taught this class, I showed these pictures, but these pictures of hitting these walk off home runs with the whole team is kind of gathered uh, right there at home plate waiting for the guy who hit the home run to come home and they celebrate. And what I love about those images is that, you know, coming home in baseball, you are greeted by your teammates with arms raised, happy to see you. And then there's this big celebration with your friends. It's not just the joy of the individual that makes it such a special moment, but it's a, it's a communal joy shared with others. Can you imagine somebody hitting a, a walk-off home run and just nobody was there to celebrate it? Hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's awesome. It's beautiful because there's this team-wide celebration of the teammate coming home. And while it's not a perfect parallel, I think this is so much like the Christian hope. Again, it's not an empty, vain, isolationist hope. You know, you think of John's vision of eternity in Revelation. He says, After this, I looked in a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So, you know, we end this week. Where we started, we originally said that we're made for community because we're made for God. And last week we said that God works through people for people. God, that is, God works through a plural community for a plural community. And guess what? In eternity, ultimately, the new creation and the resurrection of all things in the new heavens and new earth is made for a people. It's made for a community. Revelation 21, the beautiful um, passage here that many many know, but. where John sees that he saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So again, there's this, why is this the the new Jerusalem coming down? Why is the loud voice crying out? All these things that's to be, that God will dwell with them. God will be with his people. God will be with his community that he has built. And so today we're, we're seeking to think for Bonhoeffer's in between, you know, of how we can anticipate that day when we will at least, at last, uh, not only be in eternal fellowship with one another, but eternal fellowship with the triune God. We are in effect, you know, to go back to the baseball image of we're, we're between first and third here. You know, we are anticipating that thrill of hope as we round third and then we come home to celebrate with the community that we were made for with our creator. Um, so today, again, yeah, we're going to be super practical. Try to think for those hazards, those things that may make us stray from the base paths and then ultimately seek to come home. So. Does that sound like a good framework? That
0: sounds great. Baseball is a great framework to start anything, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So No, and I love that analogy. I love it. The idea of, I think, coming home is just such a sweet image. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's, like... Ultimately, I think that that to me is so much more satisfying than something like, "Oh well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to some place to rest, some mm-hmm. great beach in the sky." It's like, no, like I want to go home. Like mm-hmm. I want to go be with my father. I want to go yeah. be with like my family in Christ. Like mm-hmm. that sounds so much more satisfying. I wanted to slip this in earlier, but I'll slip it in now. I, I heard John at one point say. You've heard the old verse in Isaiah that they beat their swords into plowshares. Mm -hmm. He said that in in America, people tend to think of instead of beating their swords into plowshares, they like to beat them into lawn chairs. Um, (laughs) So from that image earlier, the idea of like uh, heaven is a resting place. Like we're going to go there and like take it easy. And it's like, nah, there's like so much more to it than that. So
1: (laughs) Sorry. uh, But I I think about Tolkien, um, the way he would describe it is that like there's these little times in life where, a gleam of light or a shaft of light will break through what he calls the walls of this world. And he calls it the, the beauty beyond the walls of this world. Uh, and I think that's what we're seeing sometimes in community when it's actually at work and doing the work of kingdom living in a plural setting. So we're going to look at it now at that. I'm getting a lot of this from a New Testament professor at Duke Div, Duke Divinity School. His name's Cavan Rowe really, really great book. He just released it earlier this year. I am sorry I don't have uh, that book on me, but it's, I think, Leading Christian Communities just was released this year. But he walks through seven different, sorry, six different patterns of life together in the New Testament. Number one is networking. Number two is visibility. Number three is provision for the week. Number four is processing disagreement and conflict Five, articulacy of belief. That's a fun word. Mm. And then lastly, suffering. Uh, and I want to walk through each of those for you, Jake, and we can talk about it, and then the listener as well. Bear with me. I mean, this is going to be a little bit uh, content heavy, but it does kind of speak exactly to what we're talking about. Like, And uh, I hope the listener is trying to think, okay, in my communities today, in my small group, in my Bible study, etc., how are these things being... Made known, and how are these things perhaps a weak point in our fellowship or our community? So, that sound good.
0: That sounds awesome. Good deal.
1: Number one, networks and networking. For Roe, he argues that there's no better name for the activity of the early Christians in establishing relationships between churches than networking. It's not a coincidence that the words community and communicate derive from the same Latin root. Uh, i not going to try to pronounce that. <laughs> <It might> be, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> Most, if not all, the cities that the church was established in, in the early church, were in major urban centers, well-positioned for travel, for trade, and yes, communication. So you think of uh, Thessalonica, Philippi, Antioch. A few examples just in Acts particularly. You know, There's this scene, I think it's Acts 14, where after Paul and Barnabas established a church in Derbe, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch, and they strengthen the souls of disciples. Acts 15, there's this all-important Jerusalem council where they uh, dictate the relationship that Gentiles are supposed to have to the Jewish law. And this was distributed throughout the Mediterranean because of the Christian networks that had been established. So it's just the point that nearly every one of the early church witnesses, particularly Paul's letters, to assume that there was an established network for Christians to exist within. Mm-hmm. Uh, you even think about the language of brother and sister among Christian communities. This becomes a serious option for communities who just a generation prior were marked by. Various city states, or ethnic groups, or other religious allegiances—that the, the prospect that now Paul is calling them brothers and sisters—is is fairly inconceivable without networks needed to sustain a common sense of identity and purpose. So, just some quick takeaways here. What what's the big deal about this? Do we need to get some radio network started or get some more podcasts out there? <laughs> no, not exactly. Uh, number one main point to this is just community without communication is a contradiction. Hmm. Community without communication is a contradiction. Being one united church scattered geographically throughout the Mediterranean required that they developed and maintained links to one another. Uh, Just break that down a little bit more. You can't be a community if you don't talk to one another, (laughs) Uh, if you don't update each other on each other's lives and talk to each other consistently. Uh, Number two here is that, Communities with a well-established network and an active line of communication are attractive to a watching, lonely world. Communities with a well-established network and an active line of communication are attractive to a watching, lonely world. I think this shows, uh, you know, this uh, lonely world that the increasing rates of isolation are growing, it shows them that community recognizes one another's voices, that their thoughts and their opinions matter. The community is not a static monolith, if you will, mm. but a dynamic body where follow-up and engagement are expected. So some of this may be common sense, but some of it may not be. You know, I, I think I would provoke the listener or whoever to ask themselves, you know, is your... Is communication expected in your community? By that, I mean, of course, yeah, do you leave room for people to communicate their needs, concerns, prayer requests, and then do you follow up on that? Or is community just, hey, we're just hanging out, you know, catching up on the game? Like, yeah, like we want to look at the Bible some and we want to check in every few weeks or something like that. Or is it, are people actually communicating with one another? Are people actually staying networked with one another? Um, you know, you could always use platforms of communication there, whether that's scrutiny or iMessage or whatever. But I think this is one of the huge advantages of the modern world. I mean, goodness gracious, there's so many resources uh, to take advantage of with communication that Paul and <laughs> most of church history hasn't had. You know, we can stay in touch with our brothers and sisters all around the world. But uh, I think this is a big takeaway with that. Communities without communication is a contradiction and that's a huge part of what it means to be flourishing in community is that your voice is heard and that you as a leader are leading leaving room for people in your communities to be heard Hmm. so that's first thought any you got any thoughts on that
0: yeah i think that's i I mean it seems like such a silly thing to say like in order to have community you need to talk to one another but it makes a whole lot of sense i mean i think of like instances where I was in a community that wasn't communicating. And I think the first thing that really stood out to me when that happened was I was surprised by something mm-hmm. that I was expected to have already known. So a couple announced a pregnancy and everybody else in the room was like, oh yeah, like we already knew that. And I was like, what? Yeah, Nobody told me. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, So like that idea that like uh, I wasn't in that community because I, I wasn't being communicated with, or in that instance, I probably wasn't listening. Um But, yeah. but that, that I think that would be a good barometer for me is, is like, are you being surprised by mm-hmm. things that are happening around you or are people telling you about them? Like, are they are they coming up in your news feed and you're like, oh, I didn't know that was going on. Or, or like, do you know about that because you're around these people because you're communicating with them? I think that's a huge difference, especially in our modern world. It's an easy one to see the kind of differentiation between like, are you hearing about it or are you being told? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's... It seems simple, but like that seems really important. Yeah, no, I know. and like,
1: I think if people think, you know, critically, and I, I think of myself as well, it's like some of the most frustrating times in community or in the church is when you're, when that's not happening. You know, I think that's true with with marriages. That's true with friendships. It's like, hey, you gotta you gotta talk to each other. You know, <laughs> you gotta communicate. And so that's so true with community. And when it and when it is flourishing, it really is part of that foretaste, you know, of like, mm-hmm. hey, this is what community is supposed to be like. This is what friendship is supposed to be like. And it's a really powerful thing, and it's endorsed by God and through the New Testament. So, I mean, one of the things I love about things like prayers of the people is that we, like, pray for people by name, and their concerns by name, and their, their, their needs are known and heard and, and prayed for. So, mm-hmm. that's the first thing, networks and networking. And, I mean, I think even, too, you can make some practical applications. We might come back to this a little bit later, but just networking with your city and the needs of your city and networking with other communities or, or organizations that you know we could partner with, you know, that's something you know Paul was doing in these major cities. I think that's a huge thing. All right, second point here. We've done visi- or we've done networking. <laughs> now we're talking about visibility. Roe makes this point, but i would I would uh, retweet it. Uh, one of the most powerful assumptions in modern American life is that there should be some division between public and private life you know and then because of that, often religion comes to refer primarily to what one believes about God and one's own heart and what one does on a Sunday, but not in the rest of the week by any means you know in our society you could very well Jake be a religious person, and all that is required for that distinction is that you sit in a pew for an hour or so on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, but Acts in the New Testament, it, it really doesn't know anything about this distinction. You know, in Acts being a Christian is itself in its very nature, a public confession and identity. Christians were a group whose pattern of life could be seen. As a matter of fact, you know, the word Christian, it is a public word. It, hmm. it wasn't an internal self, self designation, self name. The word was a term coined by outsiders, by those who could see a thriving community and needed a word to describe what these people were doing. <laughs> huh. uh, you know, to be a follower of Christ was to belong to an assembly or a gathering whose common life was publicly visible. And then you see this throughout Acts, you know, wherever the church goes in the New Testament, the Christian community is a force of cultural destabilization. By that I just mean it's just it's it's moving and shaking things in this society. It's not it's not a holy huddle it's not just staying you know in the closet it's it's moving and having its being out in the world in acts 18 there is literally A riot started because a silversmith in Ephesus can see the impact that public Christianity will have on his business. Wherever the Christian message and Christian mission goes, Christians are hauled before authorities to account for their behavior. So far from a purely spiritual movement, the early church was consistently in the public eye. Ultimately, this need to give an account could not happen if the the early Christians were to believe that their faith was to be practiced in private. Rather, it was precisely because they took their common life to bear on the whole pattern of their existence that they were noticed. So visibility, public visibility. This is what we're talking about. So just some key takeaways here. Christian communities are those whose common life positions them for visibility, In the world as a witness to jesus christ positions themselves for visibility in the world that's the first point number two the unity of the church is characterized by giving witness to the resurrection of the lord jesus you think about that language of just witness you know i think people just throw that out there as a verb sometime but the language of witness points to the fact that thriving christian communities are not just self-existing or self-sustaining their visibility has a goal and a purpose to to, to do something, you know, so that people see the hope that we have within ourselves. So, Mm -hmm. um, again, thinking about your own communities, your own small groups, your own Bible studies, whatever, you know, is your community visible to a watching world? I can remember times at Carolina opening, at UNC Chapel Hill, opening Bibles on on campus. And, yeah, sometimes it was, like, awkward and weird. And, oh, you're just going to be, thought of as just like the Christian guy on campus. Uh-huh. You know, you're going to be thought of as one of those people. But that, That's what I'm kind of talking about. You know, follow-up question to that is with the events you host or the ministries that you invite others into, one question we would ask a lot in college ministry was whose turf are you on? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, are you taking that Super Bowl party that you're going to do or that uh, Bible study that you're going to have or whatever? Are you, is this ever seen out in public or is it always on your turf you Mm -hmm. know you know you could have that Super Bowl party speaking in college ministry terms at your like ministry house Mm -hmm. that's your turf or you could do it like in a uh in a dorm in like the the gathering space sure. public gathering space there like it's it's visible you know so mm-hmm. like people are going to see this they're going to be curious what's happening here so are you always inviting people to be on your turf or are you willing to go on in a in the turf of the public if you <laughs> will and so and i think another question here and this is kind of picking up with what i was saying in the first point just thinking of like who could you partner with uh you know this is something the early church and Christians have had to consider for forever. It's just like there is no like secular spiritual distinction. Like there's a world where we can partner with local businesses, universities, institutions to affect that growth that we desire and be that force of cultural destabilization. But to do that, you have to be. In the culture, you know, <laughs> you, you, you're never going to be seen if you're just staying in your holy huddle or your little bubble, you know. Mm-hmm. So I get the idea that hey, sometimes it's, it's t- you don't need to do everything, you know, there. It's, it's OK to, to be in a gathered place of community. But the reality of the early church and the early Christian communities and Christian community that flourishes is that is that it's visible. It's publicly witnessing to a, a lost world. So Jake. uh Have you follow up again? Any thoughts of that?
0: Yeah, I um I don't want to sum these first two points up as do something. Do something. But yeah, I I, I think similarly to what we're talking about the last one, like I think this this is something that can be easily taken for granted. Like, oh like oh yeah, like visibility. Yeah, we should be doing stuff outside the church walls. And that's and I I also don't want to say like, oh doing stuff in the church walls is wrong, which I don't think you would say either. Mm -hmm. Just it's a convenient space to do certain things, but it reminds me of I think it was last year, the women's ministry here did a women's tennis pop-up and they went to tennis courts and played tennis, like as as a women's group. And that was super public. Like anybody could walk past and be like, what are all these women doing here? Mm-hmm. And though I don't know exactly how it worked out as far as like public ministry, like it was out in public. They were doing it outside, like where people could see them. And I think that's just such a cool example. And there's many more in our church, but of like doing things so people can see you. I think as a church, we're always kind of looking for easy spaces Mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, where's the easiest place to meet? It's probably, oh, the sanctuary or in the lobby or at somebody's house, Mm -hmm. but kind of thinking of like, well, where could we be that not only like we can do the things we want to do Bible study, women's group, dinner, or whatever, but where can we be in a place where we can do ministry with what Mm -hmm. we are doing, where we can be seen not necessarily like, oh, you should be seen doing everything good, like, I don't want to necessarily get into that area of criticism that Jesus had for the Pharisees, Um, like praying in public on the street corner, but like, how can we be in a position where we can impact people, where people can see us and go, oh, that's not what I expected to see here today. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, and I mean, just briefly speaking from my own experience, I think something that I always say was huge in my own story of becoming a Christian was just being around guys who were kind of normal guys who loved Jesus. Like, I think I'd always had the thought that, like, those Christians, you know, like, who were really zealous and other things, they, like, I don't know, they just, like, were just off and (laughs) and, like, which, like, all Christians are different, you know, but just the idea, like, they would listen to, like, kids bop, Christian remixes of <laughs> ACDC or something like that. But sure. they would never, you know, God forbid, listen to actual ACDC uh-huh. or something like hey, that. Yeah. And, hey, I, I recognize why we should be careful about the input that we're having from from media, music, movies, or whatever. But, like, oh, yeah, they, like, listen to hip-hop sometimes. You know, they didn't listen to all of it. and they mm-hmm. But they, like, they were in the world but not of the world, yeah, They you were, know? Yeah, they were. And so,
0: they were in culture they yeah. were totally culturally and isolated. i was like oh
1: okay we can like talk about sports we can talk about music you know and, like mm-hmm. they're normal dudes but they love jesus and that just i think that's what's seen when you're when you're visible when you're in the public so yeah. all right cool our third point here so we've talked about networking visibility third point is provision for the week. Um, now all this we're asking ourselves what does thriving communities look like um and I think everybody would say like yeah like the church should be thinking for providing for the weak. But when you think about thriving communities, when you think about thriving in general, you know, you, normally you think about health, strength, independence. You don't think about sickness, weakness, and dependence. You know, a child who fails to develop normally can be described as a failure to thrive, right? So it's it's normal for us to think of thriving without including weakness in the definition, but interesting thing again, you know the New Testament and Christian communities totally flip this on its head by redefining what we think about when we think about thriving communities. Uh, now thriving assumes that the weak, the downtrodden, the marginalized are included and provided for. This is not just you know an extension of the Christian mission but it's part of the core of the Christian mission itself. Just an example here to back this up, in Acts 6, we find this scene where there's these Greek widows. They're being neglected by the Hebrews. Um, These widows at the time were among the most vulnerable in the ancient world. To neglect them would be counterintuitive to follow their savior who said that he came to fill the hungry with good things, right? Um, yeah, but to be clear here, the neglect of the widows was not just some superficial physical problem. It was, I love this, uh, this is Ro again, but it was an active participation in a lie that the Christian church is a place that has no room for vulnerable people. You may know the rest of the story in Acts 6. This is where seven men are chosen to serve. Uh, and They develop this structure that... Uh, The apostles show that this is not just a problem that needs to be fixed, but they have a long-term perspective here, right, about the conditions needed for the church to thrive. Uh, The New Testament makes explicit that fundamental to communal Christian life thriving is a desire to provide for the long-term needs of the most vulnerable. Just a quick point here, you know, James makes this point later in the New Testament. I'm not going to quote it exactly, but he talks about like, hey, if your brother or sister lacks daily food and you see them and you say, go in peace, be warm, be filled, without giving them the things that they need, James says, what good is that? <laughs> you know, what are you doing if you see somebody who has need, but you don't respond to that? And this is where he says faith by itself, if it doesn't react, if it doesn't to respond to the need, is, is dead. So, Brief takeaways here. This is what we're talking about with um, meeting the needs of the vulnerable. Counterintuitively, the meaning of thriving in gospel communities always includes weakness. Weakness in your community is a sign of health. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if we always think about that, you know, like somebody who's hurting, somebody who is down on their luck or somebody who lost their job. That's actually like... The New Testament would see that and be like, yeah, like that that should be expected, mm-hmm. you know, and that's actually yeah. part of where the gospel does its work. So just think about this in your own communities. Does your community think for the long-term needs of others? I'm sure, yeah, it, we can talk about buying gift cards or other things like that, but does it see needs and does it think about how it can respond to them? And then, I mean, think about practicing hospitality. That's a whole other topic, but not just hey, you know, having tea parties or something like that, but like hospitality in the sense of like showing love to the foreigner, you know, mm-hmm. showing love to the stranger, those who aren't easy to show stranger to you. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Uh, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? You mm-hmm. know, even the Gentiles do that. <laughs> uh, actually, like how this is going to work itself out is loving those who are hard to love, you know, yeah. loving those, those who are dependent, not independent. So, yeah, I think that's a huge one of showing and seeing needs in the vulnerable spaces of our community. Any
0: thoughts? Oh, I have two thoughts. Good. I was hoping you'd ask. So the first one is, this kind of has a lot to do with your first point of, like, communication. So, like, there can be no provision for the weak unless the weak show themselves to some mm-hmm. degree. So, like, that means you have to tell people things, yeah. and it means you need to be vulnerable in community. Like, mm-hmm. y- you need to come in and say, hey, like, my marriage is struggling Mm -hmm. and not be like, oh, let's pray for work again. I don't want to talk about that because it makes me seem less like I have my life together. I think a really good Christian community is one where everyone is aware that nobody has their life together Mm -hmm. uh, because we live in a broken world and it's hard. Like that's just true. And where we don't feel like we have to wear masks all the time. But the second thing, and this was like, I don't know, this is just super encouraging for me. Like, I mean that like the idea of thinking about the, problems, not only in the church, but in the world around us as problems that we solve together. Like, mm-hmm. like not you trip, you have to go feed the hungry and you need to go like, take care of the people around you who are suffering. Like, no, no, we, we mm-hmm. together, like, let's go together. That makes, I don't know, so many of the things that I find like uncomfortable or, or hard to do. I'm going to use feeding the, hung- the, the homeless as an example, but there's lots of things that uh, I'm worried about. It makes it seem so much less threatening to go with your community to like go as a group. I don't know that just like and also how much more effective is that? Yeah. like like bringing one set of hands to twenty in need is ineffective, but bringing twenty sets of hands to twenty in need is way more helpful. so I don't know it's it just to me that is both better and more effective ministry, but also like so much more encouraging and easy for me to like get invested in like if somebody was like you go help those people versus we will all go help those people that feels way better and to your point about loving the unlovable it is very hard to want to love the unlovable alone, but yeah. together it gets a whole lot easier and it becomes something that you are doing together. Like yeah. it becomes ministry as opposed to just like, oh, this is my burden that I have to bear to love this one person. And now I'm kind of the person that loves them because nobody else will. It's like, no, no, we are all going to come around them. Yeah, that's super cool.
1: Yeah, awesome. <clears throat> well, going to move forward here. Fourth point for Row is the idea of processing disagreement and conflict. This is a fun one. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Again, it's easy to assume that disagreement and conflict are incompatible with thriving communities. I think about Thanksgiving dinner tables and Uh ones that are having more disagreement and conflict that seems like a more unhealthy family than a healthy family. So I think there's, there's sadly, there can be an assumption that in some spaces within the modern church that a church ought to be a place where there is no conflict. That it is a peaceable, holy place where everyone equally shares in the joy of Christ. And we all sing Kumbaya. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, we all would love for this to be true. But the problem, however, is that an aversion to conflict can all too easily, what I would say, it would over-spiritualize the church, and hmm. uh, disconnected from the reality that we live in an already but not yet world that we are still on the way to glory we're still around the, on the way around the bases and living in a broken world will require that we learn how to work with broken people mm. think about your own families or marriages of course you know fighting disagreement all the time having that all the time that's that's problematic but learning how to disagree well restating one another's thoughts to learning the art of persuasion are perhaps the more difficult thing of humbling yourself to be persuaded by someone else (laughs) Mm. is all a part of the maturation of your marriage or your family. And this is only amplified when we're talking about biblical community. Uh, One of the biggest examples in the New Testament with this is seen in Acts 15. It was briefly mentioned earlier, but it's that Jerusalem council over uh, the debate whether or not Gentiles have to get circumcised to be saved. At the core of that, does a non-ethnic Jew have to become a Jew to be saved? It's easy for us to read that chapter and think that was a small little problem. They got over it pretty quick. But this was a huge tectonic shift in the theology of the first century. Uh, If we were to work through that chapter just real briefly in Acts 15, we could see... Uh, elements to the way in which the early church communities processed through disagreement. So number one, there, there were these three things that kind of had to be true for disagreement to be handled well. Number one, there was a dis- there was an experience of the Spirit. So this is Peter, Paul, Barnabas, all have this experience through the Holy Spirit. Now, that experience of the Spirit moves into the second point where this had to be in agreement of the Spirit's work in Scripture. So uh, Peter had this vision Now that is uh, backed up with James's citation of Amos in that passage. And then thirdly here, there's some sort of structure of ecclesial or church authority. Ultimately, James and the apostles have to make a final decision over what's happening here. So you have the experience of the Spirit, the agreement of Scripture, and then lastly, some sort of church authority coming to a conclusion on this. So I think it's just an interesting example of how the church is meant to process disagreement with one another, but we want to be aware of these things, recognizing that I just mean... Within disagreement, there's always a dance uh, at play between the powerful work of the Spirit in someone's life, the confirming role of Scripture, and the discerning role of the community's leaders in the leadership that has been entrusted to shepherd these people. Now, when one or two of those things is enhanced at the expense of the other, like, I really received a word from the Lord. Well, it's like, well, where in Scripture <laughs> would back up <laughs> the experience that you had? Or you have, like, hey, Scripture says this, you know? It's like, well, let's take into account everything else that's going on. Or if you have a very strong church leader who's not listening either to scripture or uh, or this, the work of the spirit, those, those things is where communities and disagreements go really astray. So some takeaways here is just to thrive is to be able to incorporate conflict and disagreement into the life of the community. You know, think about your own communities. Is there space for disagreement? Are people expected already to come to certain conclusions? I think where communities sacrifice these elements, again, this is where things go, go wrong. So are you creating space for people to work through these things? And then are these disagreements making room for the Spirit to do its work? Are they being submitted to the authority of the Word? And in areas I think of, of extra nuance, you know, is the is the church and those entrusted to shepherd and lead being consulted with as these disagreements enhance or, or, or grow in whatever way? So Any quick thoughts to any of that?
0: Yeah, again, I I just, this is all like, I love that these are all six points together because they are very cohesive. But Mm -hmm. just, this is another point where it's like, you just, you need to be you in community. Mm -hmm. Like, like you can't just show up and sit there and smile and go, I don't agree with anything that person's saying. And then (laughs) go home and be like, well, that person is dumb and I'm right. (laughs) I'm <laughs> um, yeah. like, like that needs to be worked through. Like, like there needs to be. And guess what? Coming. That's like going to happen, you know, yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> You know? that's going to happen probably all the time. I mean, yeah. I'm sure that happens most Sundays. Somebody comes and listens to the sermon and goes, I disagree and yeah. I'm going to go home and think I'm right. Yeah. Like, yeah. but to have a a thriving community requires you to voice that Yeah. requires you to say, raise your hand and go, I don't think I agree. Can we talk about that? Right. <laughs> like, but in a healthy um, way
1: that takes things back to, okay, well. Let's talk about it. Where in sure. Scripture could we like find you know mm-hmm. this evidence, or you know is this where's this coming from, that type of thing? And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I care about you, you care about me. Like we're not out here just to disagree for the sake of disagreeing. Yeah, exactly. This yeah. is not an
0: encouragement to be belligerent. Right. Like uh, it's an encouragement to like to to seek unity in the body through mm-hmm. conversation. To to take those concerns or qualms or doubts and say, I don't understand or or I don't agree. Let's work through that together. Mm-hmm. Not. I disagree, so you're wrong, and I'm out of here. I'm going to the church down the street that agrees right. with me. I think that is so bifurcating of the body of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. It's because you end up with all the people that think one way end up in a room altogether, and you end up kind of in an echo chamber. And yep. like, no, no, you gotta, We've got to shake this out together in order to really be the body.
1: 100%. And, I mean, I, I'll just say, I mean, that's a, of all these points, that's one that I think is a very felt thing. Sure. And, uh Fun fact, next year is a big year, 2024. <laughs> it will be more polarizing as we move forward. And so it's sure. just a really amazing biblical community is one that can, hey, again, take the irreconcilable and reconcile them and say, hey, Democrat, Republican, or charismatic, non-charismatic, or Baptist, Catholic, Anglican. <laughs> uh, hey, we're, we're like trying to all work together on this, you know, and we, we want the good for one another. So, um, and,
0: and our uniting force is not... Our ideas, mm-hmm. our uniting force is the spirit. It's ultimately right. Jesus. Like, right. like to, if you take any of those other ideas and make them the biggest pole in the tent, you're never going to have unity because you've removed Jesus from the throne. So
1: hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> Fifth point here. Articulacy of belief. Again, fun word, but articulating <laughs> one's belief. Uh, again, we're working out of Acts a lot here. In Acts, a huge narrative device is is the speech or the sermon. You see Peter, Stephen, Paul, James, etc. All give these like long sermons, and clearly, a major role in the church was to know why you believe what you believe. And the speeches contain, you know, more than just doctrinal or, you know, theological accuracy, but in them these figures are able to say, what is it? That forms the core of thriving of this thriving community's existence. Why do we exist at the end of the day? And this is more than just some leadership principle, but it's how communities thrive. Uh, now, you know where you see Jake, where I'm from, and hey, I love where I'm from. Alamance, <laughs> Davidson, Randolph County—you know those places are where my family's been for centuries. A lot of those people are my people. But there, you will often hear this idea that. Being overly theologized is some form of intellectual uh, sophistication, you know, highbrow for the ivory tower people, for the mm-hmm. people over there in Chapel Hill, Durham, Raleigh, but not really for us. You know, yeah. we just want to know that simple Jesus. We want to know the simple gospel and love our families, which I want to say a lot of that's beautiful and should be a partial desire for all of us. But according to Acts, this assumption or an overassumption on this is, is a mistake, all Christians should know, should be able to have a strong articulation for why they believe what they believe. Funny enough, you know, Peter and John, when they're arrested in Acts 4, I love this point, <laughs> for their sermons that they gave, in Acts 14, they are called uneducated and common men. Now, every now and then, I like to drop a little Greek on you. The Greek here reads, agrammatoi, kai idiotai. Now, you may hear it a little bit there. <laughs> uh You can see it in the text too, but it literally reads that they were illiterate idiots. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) So that's who the Lord works through, you know? Illiterate idiots, though, who know why they believe what they believe. In the New Testament, then, to be articulate is not to be highbrow. It's not to be intellectual or whatever. It means simply being able to communicate the ultimate reason for your community's existence. Or more explicitly, to say by what name this community lives and has its being. We're told that the new converts devoted themselves to doctrinal education and instruction and to the apostles' teaching. They sought development and training to develop into this new community that God was continuing to build. So some takeaways here. Again, some common sense stuff, but can dig in a little bit deeper. Communities need to be able to answer the question, why do we exist? That is not only why are you showing up? This Wednesday, what do you expect to happen? Are you just doing this because, hey, they told me I need to do it to be like a good Christian member or something like that? Or do you think that something is actually happening here that's edifying you to be the man, the woman, the husband, the image bearer of God that you're called to be? Hmm. And I think more than just that, it's like, can you speak to this like scripturally? Like, you know, or is this just... What you heard, or uh, some assumptions, or like, is there scripture? And I hope, you know, throughout this podcast series, we've tried to provide some of that. But is there scripture? Is there some theology? Is there some rationale to like why you are here and what you expect to happen? I think a community can thrive over time only if its members know why it exists and can communicate that with others. So I think things like growing in biblical literacy, theological growth are vital for that community growth that you desire. When you think about your own communities, you know, whether it's community groups or whatever, you know, do they know why they are there? Have you verbalized that? Maybe it would be good to just take a one community group and instead of doing a Bible study, just like clarify, like, hey, these these are five points. These are five expectations scripturally for what we want to happen during this time. And then can you can they take that and then can they reproduce it to other people? And then secondly, does your community pursue opportunities to grow in biblical and theological depth together? Do they listen to podcasts like this together? <laughs> uh, or, uh, you know, all sorts of opportunities we have at church, foundations and other things. I think it'd be really cool. And we've seen that at times of people doing this alongside with one another. I think it's a really cool opportunity. So, again, we got one more point, but any quick thoughts
0: to that? Yeah, I, I think a lot of that's pretty obvious as far as like yeah it's it's understanding why you are doing what you're doing i think Mm -hmm. can be really really helpful in vision casting for like not only for the group but also for like you personally Mm -hmm. like like you trip gordon you Jake kritsky like what are you doing here oh I'm not just here because, like, it's what happens on Wednesday nights and because my mm-hmm. wife and I don't have anything else going on. So, like, we come to a community group. It's like, no, no, no. Like, we're here to be a part of the body of Christ. We're here to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're here to be sharpened as iron sharpens iron. Like, we're mm-hmm. here to confess sin and receive grace in the community of, of God's believers to be reminded of Christ. Like, this is good. Like, this is all, like, that is way more powerful and convicting for me to get to community group on Wednesday night than well, I got nothing else going on. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Like, so. Cool. All right. So, last point here. I know we're, we're this one's becoming a little bit longer, but last point is on suffering. Dun dun dun. <laughs> so this pattern concludes interestingly by reminding us again that the New Testament it expands or it redefines our conceptions of thriving. We talked about this earlier, and nothing communicates this more strongly than the New Testament's reframing of how we are con- to consider. The correlation between thriving and suffering. When you look at the book of Acts, you cannot help but see that from start to finish, the communities in the early church, they they suffer deeply. Peter and John, they suffer as they are brought to the authorities and ordered not to speak about Jesus. Paul suffers as he is stoned, left for dead. Stephen, the first deacon, suffers and is killed. James, the brother of John, is put to death by the king. Even more minor figures like Acts 17, where Jason and some of the brothers' house are attacked as they face potential mob killing. When Christians are released by the Sanhedrin, the gathering of the Jewish high council in Acts 5, 41, they say, then they left the presence of the council. This is, if you miss anything on this point, this is huge. They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Mm. Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas, in light of the suffering they experienced, uh, when they go back through the Mediterranean churches, they say they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So what we see time and time again in the New Testament is that the communities of the church simply they simply presuppose <laughs> suffering. As a regular part of the life of christian communities and not only do they presuppose it they also rejoice in the occasion for such a suffering because it gives them the opportunity to witness to jesus acts would remind us that we should be suspicious of our assumptions that develop when we say that thriving communities that we will be well liked will be rewarded for the things that we do will appear attractive and exciting uh, that's, we see something different happening in, in in Acts. To thrive as a Christian community means we will, of course, provide comfort to a hurting world, but we will also provoke as we remind the world of its brokenness and its hope. I think the last thing we can note about how the New Testament views suffering is that uh, suffering is not just about community building. I think you can think that, oh, well, are you suffering just so you build community? It's like, no, well, persecution, it fueled a community because it proved to be resilient, You know, I think some of you, though, listening, you may have had some suffering that doesn't have anything to do with that, though. I think some people have had random illnesses, natural disasters, abusive violence. What in the world does that have to do with community building? I think we can just say, and indeed, the ministry of Jesus shows us that suffering in community is an enduring aspect of life on this side of Jesus' return. Uh, It seems for communities to thrive, the question is less, why is this happening? But rather, how shall we respond? Um, Because it's in our response to unjust pain and suffering that we reveal to a watching world what we believe to be true about the resurrection. Just to quote Roe himself here, love this. He says, One may well be innocent and still wind up tortured and dead. In the face of this truth, there remains the steadfast hope of the resurrection. Jesus, that is to say, was both crucified and raised. And that is, after all, why suffering is ultimately an indispensable part of Christian community. It was a part of Jesus' own existence. We follow this pattern, Acts teaches, insofar as we exist in the reality of crucifixion and hold fast to the hope of resurrection. I know people have experienced perhaps different things there, but that's one of the beautiful things about biblical community. One of the most beautiful things about biblical community, and I've heard some really cool testimonies of our church of people being sick or even people moving towards death's door and arriving at death's door and the community around them trusting in the hope of the resurrection it's just such a a beautiful thing so that's where we close jake hate to end on a a a sadder note but i think it's also a super hopeful one any any thoughts there as you think about that
0: yeah i think one of the things an old mentor of mine told me was that suffering in the church is an opportunity for the people around the sufferer to grow in love and care. Mm-hmm. It's it's not only necessarily like, oh, well, this person is now going through cancer treatment, or mm-hmm. or the loss of a loved one or something. It's it's not, or even death. I mean, that's a huge one. We're all going to get there eventually. That While everything else may seem random, some people get sick now, some people get sick later, we're all going to die. And all of us are probably going to need some kind of end-of-life care that gives the church and us as individuals the opportunity to love and care and to grow muscles that we otherwise wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. And so he always, and he was in a position where he had two heart attacks and was in a position where he needed care. He was like, I am excited that I'm giving other people the opportunity to be like Christ and to learn how to love better. And I was like, that is such a great, like, I don't know, it's a great mindset that in the church we can look at even those things and say look at how Jesus redeems this and look at how we as a community can come around this person and love them even when things are really really hard.
1: It's so. 100% i you know somebody recently he's sick uh, in our around our community there was a prayer night for him and he disclosed with something that always that struck me he said this will end in either healing or resurrection. Mm. And that was such like a, man, that's so true. That's so true from a Christian standpoint. Ultimately, you know, in Christ, it'll all end in resurrection. But like, hey, if the healing doesn't happen, this will end in resurrection, you know? Mm. And I just, that I think that's one of those things where like when Bonhoeffer says the Christ in his own heart is weaker than the word of his brother, it's like I wouldn't have grasped that just naturally. Like I needed my brother who's experiencing this suffering, who's come to terms with his... Mortality in this life, just to, to verbalize that, mm-hmm. you know, me on by the grace of God today in in health, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about the realities of those things, you know. Yeah. But now He said that, like that's always going to stick with me, you know, and I want to verbalize that to the communities that I'm a part of, you know. Yeah. And when I'm close to that door, I want to verbalize that to people around me, and that's how, again, that Christ and your own heart is weaker than the word of your brother. Like, you need to verbalize these things, you know, so that your brother can be mutually encouraged. And so, just to revisit all six, you know, we've had networking, visibility, provision for the week, processing disagreement and conflict, articulating one's belief, and then lastly, suffering. And I, you know, just to wrap things up, you know, I think this kind of reverses that toxic cocktail of sin that we talked about, I think, in episode two, where we had profound shame, denial of responsibility, and then this delusion that we can do it ourselves. I think through the gospel and the communities formed by the gospel in the New Testament, rather than this poison that we intake, we see a redeemed total pattern of life in these six features of community. So I'd compel whoever's listening to this to revisit this with your community. Perhaps it is just in your your home. Perhaps it's with a women's group that you have. Perhaps it's with a men's group. Perhaps it's With a a community group or a small group discipleship group there are of course more things we could include and these things do not necessarily guarantee always that communities will thrive but i think we can see here that this is a hopeful way to be in the world these are different strands of unified community life and i think when they are really flourishing i think this is where that light starts to break through and we do see like a beauty beyond the walls of this world you know I think it's a really beautiful thing when that's happening and it starts to live into that anticipation of rounding third and coming home of like, yeah. and this is what, this is exciting when you, when, and I feel, I've, I've sensed it when I'm in a community like that. I'm like, man, this is like life slows down. Like there's more resonance in the world. Things aren't so fast anymore. I'm just like with people and think about what heaven is for a second, you know, like this, space with God outside of time, you know, worshiping around the throne. i That's a foretaste of heaven that gets me really excited about it. But it's a it has to do with how we pursue community now. So I think community is a wonderful gift in this life. If there's anything I've learned, community is really, 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 really hard. But it makes it that much more precious and beautiful. It makes life more hopeful and life more fun to live, I think, mm. in the midst of a broken world when we find it. So... That's all I have for now. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I would, I just to add to that encouragement, I would also encourage you if you're somebody who isn't in community right now, maybe you've never had gospel community or, or maybe you've been part of gospel community that has burned you in the past. Like mm. be encouraged, like, like get back into community, understand that like, first of all, the people that you're communing with aren't perfect either. I had a friend once tell me, never join a perfect church. You'll ruin it. But like, understand that you're not perfect, and, and no church is perfect, and no community group is perfect, but like, go in with the expectation that the Spirit is going to work and that unity will be found in Christ, not unity in ideas and not unity in characters. And just give it another try and see what the Lord does. I think he can do wonderful and powerful things if you're willing to just give it a go <laughs> and trust him.
1: So, Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I could just close on this scripture, and then we'll be done. Hebrews 10:24, 25. Haven't quoted it, but it's a good one. <laughs> mm. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see
0: the day drawing near. Mm. Amen.
1: Bada bing, bada boom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you all for joining us. This is the end of our series on community. We hope we'll have another series coming up in the next season, and we hope to see you then. Thank you.